everybody. Welcome back to the home studio for the third episode in a row. It's season four. It's episode four. And it's 1020 on the calendar. Does that mean something? No. <laughs> Welcome to the deep end. Yes. Happy October 20th to everybody. I hope that you have your plans ready for some kind of socially distant Halloween coming up. If you celebrate Halloween, if you don't celebrate Halloween, no worries. Don't worry about that. But I hope that you have a good October. Fall is in full swing. The leaves are changing in New England. And we are back here on the deep. And hello to our audiences. And I want to make sure that we mention them. FM 99.5 and Tampa Bay Radio, and also Spotify, Twitch, YouTube.com slash TheDeepNTV, and Facebook.com slash TheDeepNTV. Hey, do me a favor. Would you do me this solid? Uh, like the video, so if you could do this on YouTube, subscribe to The Deep End, and also click that little notification bell, and let us know, or I'm sorry, let us let you know <laughs> when we are live by hitting that notification bell. That will let you know every time we post new content. Also, please do this. Support The Deep End through the cash tag, thedeepend.tv, or uh, you can also go to thedeepend.tv slash support. Give and it shall be given. That's how we do our advertisements here in the home studio because it's a little bit hack. <laughs> and it's a little bit relaxed. So welcome back to... Another edition of The Deep End as we go through the life of David. I uh, want to make sure that you subscribe to our social media channels as well. Uh, this is important, and uh, you can see them there. Facebook, uh, we have a, a little bit of a change from these previous episodes. We've been sending you to the wrong Twitter. So make sure that you go to the right Twitter, at Deep End TV. So it's not The Deep End on Twitter. It's just Deep End, TV, Deep End TV. And then Periscope, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch are all uh, The Deep End TV whether it's at or forward slash. So make sure you're just aware of that. Um, but we're going to be back again here talking about the life of David. First off, I want to just say last week you sent me some great testimonies about courage, but they were a bit too personal. And I just didn't want to share like too many personal details uh, on the channel because I want to guard your privacy. But thank you for your courage stories. And they were uplifting to me. And I thank you for participating in your homework. So I know I said I was going to share some, but I'm not going to. I know, I know. Just for your sake and uh, for, for, your, for your privacy. Anyway, we're going to skip right to the text today. We're going to talk about a sin that obvious oftentimes doesn't get recognized in the world today. In fact, it's actually one that's very encouraged in our country, one that we don't think we do, and yet is so dangerous, is dangerous to who we are. So let's head into the life of David. The Bitter Pill of Jealousy. That is the title of this episode of The Deep End, The Bitter Pill of Jealousy. Jealousy uh, is a very different kind of sin or spirit than almost anything else that the Bible warns us against. 
It's a an entirely different kind of sin. Uh, we're going to be in First Samuel chapter eighteen, and the theme verse today is up here on the screen, verse eight and nine of First Samuel eighteen. And Saul was very angry, and Saul eyed David from that day on. Saul was very angry, and Saul eyed David from that day on. What happened? We're just one chapter later from the great conquest of David killing Goliath and saving Saul's behind. Remember, Saul was scared of Goliath. Saul was hiding. Saul was unwilling to go and risk his life to defend or fight for the people of Israel. And here comes shepherd boy Israel, uh, shepherd boy David out from the sheepfold bringing bread and cheese to his brothers. And he goes out into the battlefield, runs into the Valley of Allah and slings that stone and hits Goliath right into the head and then cuts off his head and brings the head to Saul. And that was the end of chapter 17. And you would think that from that point forward, Saul would be like, David, you're the man. I, I owe you everything. Thank you. Here, sit right here on my right hand. You're going to be my bud. We're going to be pals. We're going to be teammates. We're going to do this thing together. We're going to protect God's people. Mm-mm. Just eight verses in to the next chapter. Saul was angry and Saul eyed with an angry eye the man who had previously and very recently saved his behind. First Samuel chapter 18 is going to talk about Saul's jealousy. On the heels of Goliath's death, on the heels of that great victory, Saul sees David in a whole new light. In fact, the whole nation sees David in a whole new light. David goes from an unknown shepherd boy to the most famous warrior in all of Israel overnight in a hot second. And what is the result of such change? Well, there's a dramatic sea change in David's life. He comes into Saul's army. Uh, He takes over command of a large battalion of soldiers and he's famous and he's loved And Saul is successful. Let's think about that. Uh, Lost in the story of David and Goliath is that the greatest beneficiary of the whole story, the whole defeat of Goliath was who? Saul, because Saul was king of Israel. So he had a lot to gain by David, by David beating Goliath and defeating the Philistines. But things change. And in our lives, things change quickly. And let me ask you this question. This could apply to you personally. Have you ever had a relationship that was once so sweet, go so bitter quickly? Have you ever had somebody suddenly just not like you anymore? Like not talk to you anymore? Like like suddenly ignore you? Stop answering your calls? Stop talking to you? Have you ever had that happen? And you might think, what did I do? What happened? Sometimes it's something that we did, but I'm going to be honest with you. I've lived a lot of life. I know this personally. I know this from experience. Sometimes it's just jealousy. Sometimes somebody watches you go to another level in life or get something in your life that they desperately wanted. Maybe you had a a friend who suddenly got engaged and suddenly the relationship that you had with the friend that got engaged, or sorry, you got engaged and they didn't, now the relationship soured. Or maybe it's the other way around and you're jealous because they got engaged and you didn't. Or maybe you were desperately trying to get pregnant and you didn't, but someone that you know, maybe your sister, maybe maybe a friend, They got pregnant, no problem. You're struggling. And it soured the relationship. You see, the thing about great victories in one person's life is that sometimes it can stir up jealousy in another person's life. 
And let me just say to God's people, to Christians, you've got to be on your guard about jealousy. I want to talk to you about the dangerous spirit, the dangerous, jealous spirit. It's dangerous. Here's why it's dangerous, because jealousy is unlike any other sin. It is unlike any other sin. Let me explain. Uh, Number one, jealousy is actually encouraged in our modern America, in our modern Western culture, isn't it? It is kind of encouraged. It's like there's stores named for jealousy, or at least a synonym of jealousy. Have you ever heard of this of the store Envy? There's actually a clothing store called Envy. It's a woman's clothing store. Uh, there's uh, another store called, if you go through the mall, Massage Envy. I don't know what's the deal there. I've never really envied someone else's massage. I <laughs> think if you're getting a massage, who cares? I don't. I don't envy that. Um, but advertising itself in our country, in the West, is built on envy, isn't it not? You should have this. Look at all these happy people over there. They have a happy life because they bought this product. And so, therefore, you should buy it because you deserve to be happy. And it plays on us all the time. Advertisers play on our envy, on our jealousy all the time. And then the third thing I want to say is this. This is why envy is unlike, and jealousy is unlike any other sin. We don't often see when we do it. We don't often see that we're being envious when we're being envious. This is the wild thing about about jealousy and envy. It can happen to us without us even paying attention to it. And it's why it's unlike any other sin. Because when you commit adultery, you know you're committing adultery. Nobody's committing adultery and suddenly looks at the person and says, wait a second, this is not my wife, right? It doesn't happen like that. You know, you, you know when you're stealing, you know when you're killing, you know when you're doing these bad things that you should not do that hurt other people. But jealousy, you could do that for a bunch of time and not realize you're doing it. And I think that's what happens to Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18 introduces us to Saul's jealousy. So let's get to the text and let's take a look-see at what happens to us as we get jealous. And I, I, don't, I don't want you to tune out here. I want you to pay attention because this is something that we all wrestle with. This is something that is foundational to who we are as humans. Because if you think about it, go way back, way back in human history to Adam and Eve, they have two sons, Cain and Abel. Abel's offering is accepted and Cain's is not. And the jealousy of Cain, the jealousy of Cain causes him to hate and kill his brother. And it's a story that's pointing to the human condition. We all struggle with this. So let's let's look at this. Let's let's unpack jealousy and then let's talk about the answer to jealousy because I don't want to just give you the problem. I want to give you the solution. So with that in mind, let's get to the text here in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the he there is David. As soon as David had finished speaking with Saul, the son of uh the the son uh sorry, <laughs> the son of the soul of Jonathan, the soul of Jonathan. Hello, can I speak? Blah, 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 blah. The soul of Jonathan was knit. There we go. To the soul of David. This is an interesting passage. As soon as David starts or stops speaking with Saul, Jonathan's Saul's son, and his soul is knit. This is a very intentional phrase in the Hebrew. He's becoming almost like spirit brothers with David, okay? Uh, And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him, that's David, that day and would not let him return to his father's house. So now he's permanently hired by Saul. Then Jonathan made a covenant. Look Look at that phrase right there. He made a covenant with David. Now covenants in the Bible are big. There are covenants in the Bible. In fact, 
you might not even realize this, but the whole Bible is basically two covenants. We are we do a disservice to ourselves when we call it Old and New Testaments. It's actually Old and New Covenants. Old and New Covenants. There's the covenant with Abraham and, and Israel, and then there's the covenant in Jesus' blood. We call that the New Testament. Okay. Well, this is a big deal, what Jonathan does here. He makes a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Okay, so so Jonathan watches David uh, beat Goliath, and something in David resonates, something in Jonathan resonates with David. And he binds himself to him. And this is important for where we're going about jealousy, so just hang in for a moment. This covenant thing is is huge for Jonathan. He's, he's basically saying, we're going to be blood brothers. In fact, uh, there are some commentators who think that in the ancient world, when you made a covenant with somebody, personal covenant with somebody, you actually cut your wrists here, okay? And you, you put your wrists together and you shared blood. You kind of swapped blood to say we're blood brothers now. So maybe that's what happens here with Jonathan. But Jonathan is making a huge move here to say you and I, we're going to be, we're going to be soulmates. We're going to be brothers now. And these were big things. It, these were big time things in the ancient world. It's the, a covenant for us is huge because the covenants that God makes are unbreakable. When Jesus says, this is the covenant of my blood, he's saying, I'm making a permanent covenant with you. When you come into faith in Christ Jesus, God permanently places his love on you. It's unbreakable. No, way, no man can pluck you out of his hand. Jesus said in John chapter 11, no one can, he will lose none of those that the Father has given him. So when you are in Christ, you are sealed in the covenant blood of Jesus. It is a promise of, and it's a guarantee that Jesus has got you and loves you. Amen. But now let's take a look, see at what Jonathan does here with David. It says, Jonathan stripped himself, verse four, of the robe that was on him and gave it to David. So he gives him his robe, which is a symbol of saying, what's mine is yours. My life and your life are going to be shared. And then he gave David his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. That's huge. Because David, Jonathan is basically saying to David, I am giving you permission over my life. I'm giving you leadership and authority over my life. This is an important moment here in, in Jonathan and David's relationship. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul sent him over the men set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Okay. A couple of things that we want to pick up from this picture of Jonathan making a covenant with David. Number one, he gives him his robe, which means you you what's mine is yours, my possessions are yours. Number two, remember that Jonathan is Saul's son. And by giving him his possessions, he's saying, I'm not going to be king. You're going to be king. Jonathan recognizes this really early. Remember, Jonathan is the next in line. He's the crown prince. And he basically here says, nope, I'm not going to be king. You're going to be king. I'm going to follow you. You're going to be my leader. You're going to be my, my commander. This is huge for the crown prince to do that for this upstart um, uh, shepherd boy from, his, from, from Bethlehem. And then he gives him, again, he gives him his armor, his, his sword, his bow, and his belt. And remember, Jonathan and Saul were the only two uh, Israelites at that time who had swords and shields. And then in the, next, in the next chapter, don't miss this, in chapter 19 of 1 Samuel, we're going to see that this covenant that Jonathan makes with David, this soulmate covenant, it costs Jonathan his relationship with his father. It actually puts a strain on the relationship because in the next chapter, we don't see it yet, but we're going to see in the next chapter that Saul, 
lets Jonathan know that he wants to kill David. And Jonathan suddenly realizes that the relationship that he had with his father is now over. His relationship with David has now taken, and I want you to pay attention here, his relationship with David has now taken precedent and superiority over his relationship with his own father. Now, why am I bearing down on all this stuff? Why? Why is this important? Do you know why? Because what we see in this passage with Jonathan and David is a picture of the Christian's response to Jesus Christ for defeating our Goliath, which we talked about last week, which was death. David is a picture of Jesus who takes on our spiritual enemy, death, and defeats death with what? With death. Jesus' death beats death. We are therefore given courage to live without the fear of death because of what our true and better David did for us. When we see it, we are like Jonathan in this moment. We give our lives to Jesus. This is what Jonathan does here in verse four and five is a picture of salvation. And it is so important that we catch this because we have so many, many views of salvation that are so unbiblical, it's not funny. People think if I put my hand up uh, at the end of a service, I'm saved. Maybe, but the question is, did you surrender your life? People think, well, I went to church when I was a kid, so I must be saved. No. People think I was Christian as a kid, so I'm saved. No. People think, well, my I was raised in a Christian house, or or this is a big one in America. Is I I I'm not Buddhist and I'm not Muslim and I'm not Hindu, so I'm I must be Christian because after all, isn't this a Christian country? And I was born here. I guess I'm a Christian. No, 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 no. Christianity is exemplified in this passage. I want to go back to it because you got to see it. He gave him his rope. He basically says, "What's mine is yours." When you get saved, you're saying to Jesus. You beat death for me. Guess what? What's mine is now yours. I surrender to you. And then he gives him his armor again, his sword, his bow. Remember, that's a picture of us saying, and I am going to put my trust in you. You're going to protect me. You're going to help me. You're going to fight for me. I'm laying down my life, my rights for you, Lord Jesus. This is a beautiful picture of surrender and salvation, because that's what salvation really is. This is why Jesus says in uh, Matthew 16, 24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That's salvation. You want to follow Jesus? Deny yourself. Give up the life you think you should have. Give up the identity you think you deserve. Give up the things that you think are yours and hand them over. Now, I'm not literally saying you bring them to the church and drop them off because we don't want them. We don't have a place to store them. But I am saying that everything is on the table when you're saved. Everything, your family, your relationships, your stuff, your money. There's a lot of people that go to church. They think they're Christians. They never give a dime to the work of the Lord. They think they're Christians. How can you say you're a Christian if you can't even support the ministry of the church? There's, you're holding back. That's not surrender. There's another, there's another popular philosophy invading our generation right now, our culture, and that is I get to define who I am. No, not if you're a Christian, you don't. If you're, if you're not a Christian, define yourself however you want. Call yourself whatever you want. Identify however you want. I don't care. I have no responsibility over you. But if you are a Christian, you are now surrendering not just, listen, not just your soul. You're surrendering your entire life. To Jesus. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Let him deny herself. Take up your cross and follow me. And then he says, whoever wants to uh, 
save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The, the, the point is, is that we've got to reconnect with Jesus's understanding, Jesus's teaching, and this beautiful picture here of Jonathan and David here of what salvation is. It is absolute surrender, surrender of your identity, surrender of your weaponry, your, 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 your aims in life, your, 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 uh, what you think makes you you. And, and, and then thirdly, remember back to the, to, to the relationship that Jonathan had with his father is now strained because he has this covenant relationship with David. You got to surrender your relationships to Christ. You're going to have some, some issues with people that you love when you're in relationship with Christ, Christ first. Jesus has the audacity in another passage in the gospels to say, if you don't hate mother and father, brother, sister, even children and your own life for my sake, you have no part of me. What is he saying? He's saying, I am going to take absolute precedence in your life. I'm going to be the number one most important relationship in your life. That's salvation. Got it? Salvation is not going to church, although you should go to church if you're saved. Salvation is not being a good person, although you should be a good person if you're saved. Salvation is surrendering everything to God. Now, I say that because this past week at my church, at Waters Church in North Atterborough, I preached about uh, you know, this trend in our culture of identifying yourself by your sexual identity or your your gender, make, naming your gender, picking your gender or whatever, or feeling like you're a woman when you're really a man or whatever. And and I, and I feel bad for these people. I do. I have a lot of compassion because I can't, under, I don't understand. I can't imagine what it's like to feel that way. And I got an email from somebody because they didn't like the fact that I said this. I called out homosexual sin. I called out transgenderism as what it is. It is a distortion of God's best for you. And I got an email from someone who was, maybe uh, a combination of some LGBT deal there. I'm not sure. I couldn't decipher exactly, but this person, I don't want to share everything that this person, and I don't even know what pronoun I should refer to them as, but they're highly confused. And they were telling me their story and they were saying, this is what I am. This is what I believe about sexuality. This is what I believe about abortion. And this is what I believe. And I'm like, okay, great. That's, that's what you believe. Now, if you're gonna feel now, if you're gonna be a follower of Christ, and and by the way, I'm glad that they're coming to my church. I'm glad that they're coming and hearing. But if you're gonna believe in Christ, if you're gonna receive Christ, it's about surrender. Now, those things have to be on the table. My belief about abortion has to be on the table. My belief about transgenderism has to be on the table. My belief about how I spend my money has to be on the table. And and we lay it down. We say, Jesus, have your way. I trust you from now on with who I am. I don't call the shots. You call the shots. Okay, got it? I just wanted to emphasize that because it's such an important moment here in the text and we would just kind of like skip over it. No, it's a picture of our salvation. Jonathan lays down his life, his rights, his privileges and gives them over to David and says, you are now in charge and it's a picture of salvation what we do when we come to Christ. Okay, let's move on. Verse six, as they were coming home, now this is coming home from battle. David's in charge of about a thousand men of Israel's uh, warriors. And it says, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy and with musical instruments. So this is what Americans do, right? When our soldiers come home, we throw a ticker tape parade. That's exactly what's happening here. And in verse seven, it says, and the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And I, I like to do it like this. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of It's catchy, right? Isn't that <laughs> anyway, they start singing this song and uh, it's praise. 
They're praising Saul, and I just, I don't want you to miss this. They're praising Saul, and they're praising David. And I don't think that they intentionally meant to say that David is better than Saul. I just think that, you know, they wrote the song, and, and Hebrew poetry has a way of, you know, escalating with every refrain, and, and it's very common. So they go from thousands to tens of thousands. And, and here's the thing. There's this praise moment, and it's an important thing for us to understand in that praise from people, very important for you to understand, Praise from people is a test for our hearts. Listen to that again. Praise from people is a test for our hearts. I want to show you something here on the screen. Proverbs 27 verse 21 says this. The crucible is for silver. Then the furnace is for gold. And check this out. And a man is tested by his praise. Mm. (laughs) Just like a crucible refines silver and separates silver from, you know, the, uh, the impure particles. And just like the furnace purifies gold, so, a pray, so praise is a thing by which God tests our hearts. How do you respond? Let me ask you two questions. How do you respond to the praise of people? Do you let it puff you up and go to your head and you start to think, yeah, I am. I am that good. I, I, I deserve that. And yeah, these people should pay attention to me, right? This is, this is huge in Western culture. We have all of our celebrities. And when they score a touchdown, when they play a child's game and they hit a ball over a wall, it's like, yes, I am that good. Yes. Or, you know, sometimes they'll do this. They'll go, they'll, they'll pound the chair. And then, you know, yes, God, you help me be awesome. <laughs> you know, and there's this thing where we let praise actually reveal our hearts where we let it go to our heads. It's a trap. The praise of men is a trap because once you have it, it becomes like a, a drug. You've got to keep it. And then once you have it, you're tempted to do things to get it. Once you have people liking you and you think, wow, that makes me who I am and I'll, I need their praise, you will inadvertently and subconsciously start following the praise of people instead of the purposes of God. Second question I want to, I want to ask you is what do you do when you don't get praise? So what do you do when you get praise? But more importantly, what do you do when you don't get praise? Do you fall to pieces? Do you get upset? Do you get angry? Do you wonder uh, if your life is worth living? So I think that sometimes some of these things about people picking their identities and being all about, you know, finding themselves and making themselves what they want to be in life. Sometimes I think that's a little bit of a desire for praise, a little bit of a desire for being noticed. Anyway, I just build that up because praise does not suit Saul well. He's addicted to praise. Remember, Saul represents the kingdoms of this world. We've talked about this already in episode one and two. He represents the kingdoms of this world. And the kingdoms of this world are all about getting people to like you, getting the approval and the praise of people. And Saul has kind of centered his kingdom around people liking him. Okay, so take a look at this in verse eight. This is the theme verse of of the episode. And Saul was very angry and this saying displeased him. He was angry. Hey, they just praised him. Did do we need to go back? Because they, they just sang about how he killed his thousands. Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. I mean, this is fine. 
You got you got you got credit for thousands. But he's angry. And he's angry because what does he say? He said they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they've ascribed thousands. And what is what more can he have but the kingdom? And he's got he's got to have the voice of Saul, uh, Samuel in the back of his head here saying that God has sought out a man after his own heart who's going to take the kingdom from you. So he's threatened. And Saul eyed David from that day on. The whole relationship that da- that David and Saul had is now changed because of praise. Have you ever experienced this? Have you ever experienced a moment where somebody gets praised or you get praised and it just taints a relationship with a friend or a brother or a sister? This is the problem with jealousy because jealousy will ruin your relationships. And and jealousy is really covetousness. And if you remember in God's top 10 list, 10 commandments, the last one, number 10 is covetousness. And it is the one sin that I think C.S. Lewis says this, it's the is the underlying layer of all the other sins. When we covet, we kill. James chapter one says that. You have not because you do not ask God and you covet and kill because you do not have what you want. So you covet and then you kill or you covet and then you commit adultery or you covet and then you steal or you covet so you don't rest one day of the week and worship God. You work seven days a week because you covet more, 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 more. Covetousness is the underlying sin. Another word for covetousness is jealousy. And so so Saul's relationship with David is completely wrecked. And David's relationship with Saul is completely wrecked by jealousy. This is why you want to keep your guard up about jealousy and envy because it will wreck what could be beautiful relationships in your life. They could be great relationships, but if you're jealous, if you're always measuring yourself against each other, they could wreck you. So let's continue into the passage here. And here's what it says. Verse 10. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, verse 11, and Saul hurled the spear. <laughs> For he thought, I will pin David to the wall, but David evaded him. Look at this. Twice. Man, poor David. All he did was fight the Lord's battles. All he did was rescue Saul from, from, from Goliath. And then he got praise. And Saul got praise. And Saul's not happy with the level of his praise compared to the level of David's praise. See, this is this is comparison and jealousy. This is what it does. And the relationship is wrecked. And now Saul wants to kill David. Just like that. They were they were they were they were mates one chapter earlier. And now jealousy, built on the need for people's praise, destroys a relationship. I wonder what what relationships might be destroyed in your life if you base your value on how people praise you or don't praise you. This is why you have to root yourself in the love of God because the love of God releases you from needing the praise of people. When you know God loves you, when you know the only true opinion that matters, the only matter, the only opinion that truly matters is is for you, who cares who hates you? And as they grow and Christian discipleship is this. Christian discipleship is moving from caring less about what people think because you come to know what God thinks about you. And by faith in Christ Jesus, by the grace of God, you are accepted into his family. You are his child and he loves you. And no one can change that. No one can change it. But anyway, back to jealousy. 
I want you to see something. It's point number one. Jealousy takes over our lives. Jealousy takes over our lives. It literally does. This is exactly what happens with Saul. From this moment forward in Saul's life, he will deteriorate. He will digress. He will be on a path of self-destruction from this moment forward. That's what jealousy does. It takes over your life. It's not something to be toyed with. It's not something to just say, well, I might be jealous here and there. It's no big deal. No, it's a big deal. It could, it could kill you. Verse 12. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Verse 13. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in as bef- in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings for the Lord was with him. And when Saul Saul went with Saul, Again, all this, Saul is a terrible name. And when Saul saw, there we go, that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. They went out and came in. That's a euphemism. It's a Hebrew euphemism for he was a great general. He was a great warrior. He fought the Lord's battles and he won. Notice it says Saul was afraid of David. He was afraid of David. Why? Because why? The Lord was with him. And Saul knew that the Lord had departed from, from himself. So what does Saul do? He removes him. Get, get away from me. Think about this. this is a, I know it seems like a small moment, but it's actually huge. David's your number one ar- um, commander. David's the guy who literally saved the kingdom for you, Saul. And now Saul can't enjoy anything because Dave has been praised and he was praised a little less. I mean, just think about the audacity of that. Just think about the craziness of that. It brings me to point number two about jealousy. Jealousy makes it impossible for us to enjoy our lives. It does. It makes it impossible for us to enjoy our lives because we're always thinking about what other people have that we don't have or what we think we deserve. I like this quote. I think I found this from Tim Keller. Jealousy makes us unable to enjoy what somebody else has because of resentment and unable to enjoy what we have because of comparison. Jealousy makes us unable to enjoy what... Some, in other words, somebody else gets something so that we don't have and we want it, so now we resent them for it because they got what we wanted. So now instead of enjoying, instead of being happy for them, we resent them. And then... We don't even enjoy what we have because we're comparing ourselves to what they have. Do you know what jealousy is? Here's another, here's another thing that jealousy is. It's a joy killer. It'll rip you off of your joy. Romans chapter 12, verse 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. You know what I found out in the Christian experience that I've lived? We only do half that verse. <laughs> we're only happy to do half that verse. We'll gladly weep or mourn with those who mourn. It's a lot harder to rejoice with those who rejoice. Oh, your 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 father died. Oh, I'll cry with you. Oh, yes, definitely, man. You got I'm I'm with you. My heart's with you. I'm praying for you. I love you. So sorry for you. But man, I'll tell you when when uh when they get that new house or that job or they get that the six figure salary and you're still making sixty thousand dollars a year or whatever, how many know it's a lot harder to say Man, I'm praying for you to succeed in that job. Man, I'm so happy. I hope that car runs well for you. Man, I'm so happy for you to have that. You know? Because there's a little bit of Saul in all of us. 
to not enjoy our lives because we are jealous of other people's lives. Jealousy makes it impossible for you to enjoy your life. Okay, going on, verse 17. Then Saul said to David, here's my elder daughter, Merib. Now, what is up with this? I thought he didn't like David. I thought he just tried to kick David out of the kingdom. I thought he was trying to get David away from him. <laughs> no, look at this. This is, what je- this is what jealousy does. This is so painful to watch. He's a car wreck waiting to happen. He says, here's my elder daughter, Merib. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. Now look at the qualifier behind Saul's statement. For Saul thought, let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. In other words, maybe if I give offer him my daughter because, and he fights my battles or the quote unquote, the Lord's battles, he's trying to feign spirituality here, the Philistines will kill him. <laughs> this is so bad. This is so pathetic. Verse 18. And David said to Saul, who am I and my relatives and my father's clan in Israel that I should be the son-in-law to the king? But at the same time, but at the time when Merib Saul's daughter uh, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel. I don't know who that is. Evidently, he's the Meholathite for a wife. This is an incredibly wicked moment in Saul's life. He's willing to give David his daughter as a wife on the chance that what David does to get her as his wife kills David. You know what that does? That brings me to point number three. (laughs) And point number three is this. Jealousy makes enemies out of partners and partners out of enemies. David was Saul's partner. He was fighting the Lord's battles for Saul's sake. And I know, I know what you're thinking. You think, yeah, but the Lord told Saul that his kingdom would not endure forever. And I get that. That's true. But do you know that Saul's kingdom actually, Saul was king for 40 years. He had a pretty good long run and he's not even yet 10 years into it at this point. So he's got 30 years to look forward to. And and he's not able to enjoy his kingship at all because he's jealous of David. And on top of that, he makes his number one partner, his number one warrior, his enemy and He's hoping the Philistines do him a favor and kill the guy who just saved him from the Philistines. Jealousy upends all your relationships. It wrecks all your relationships. It's a relationship uh, uh, killer because it, it flips the script. Suddenly you're liking people who could hurt the people that you're jealous of, that you used to like because they were friends, but now they have someone that you want, so now you want them to suffer. Like, so, it's so insane. This is why we've got to be on our guard against this horrible sin. So the the passage continues and it gets worse. So guess what? Uh, the first daughter, Merib, gets married off to some other guy. Good news, Saul has another daughter named Michal. And he says to say, and, and she loved David. Now Saul's thinking, well, wait a second. Okay, my first daughter married this other guy because David was too busy fighting the Lord's battle. Well, Michal really has her eye out for him. And it says this, and they told Saul and the thing pleased him. Ooh. And now he's starting to let the, the gears turn in his head. Verse 21, and Saul thought, let me give her to him that she may be a snare for him <laughs> and that the hand of the Philistines, again, remember the Philistines were his enemy. The Philistines were his enemy and the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. And then it says, and Saul commanded his servants, speak to David in private and say, behold, the king has delight in you. Now he's telling, now he's getting his servants in on this deal. Now he's, 
using the servants to manipulate the situation so that he can get David killed at the end of the Philistines. And he says, tell him, behold, the king has delight in you and his servants love you. Now then become the king's son-in-law. In other words, I want you to cajole David into this situation so that he gets killed by the Philistines. And verse 23 says, and Saul's servants spoke these words in the ears of David. And David said, does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law since I'm a poor man and have no reputation? And the servants of Saul said to him, thus and so did David speak. This is crazy. Friends, the bitter pill of jealousy, the dangerous spirit of jealousy, I want you to see in this passage. Brings me to point number four. Point number four, jealousy leads us to use people we are supposed to love and serve. Let me unpack this for you. Um, Saul is now using, think about this. He's willing to use his two daughters and he's willing to use his servants to get David killed. By the way, how would you like to have Saul as your dad? <laughs> Basically, they are bait. Basically, he serves them up as worms on the hook for David's demise. But that's what jealousy does. It leads us to use people. And here's how you know if you are using people because you've got a spirit of jealousy in you. Here's how you know. Are you ready for it? your relationships become strictly economic. What do, I mean, what do I mean by economic? I mean this. Well, what can they get me? Well, what can they do for me? And suddenly now you're in this economic management program of your relationships. You don't really genuinely care about people. You're just hoping that this person can help you to do that and get there and get this and accomplish that. Man, I'll tell you, jealousy is a path of self-destruction. It destroys your relationships. It takes over your life. It taints everything about you. This is why the number 10 commandment is the number 10 commandment because it underlies the previous nine. You're going to wreck your life by not being grateful for what you have. Let's go on in the passage. Verse 25, then Saul said, thus you shall say to David, the king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hands of the Philistines. Okay, verse 26, when David, his servants, I'm sorry, when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law before the time had expired David arose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines and David brought their foreskins. Kind of gross. <laughs> how'd, you like to be, how'd you like to be David's right-hand man? Uh, go, get the, go get the foreskins. Put them in a bucket. <laughs> we're going to see the king. Sorry, I had to go there. I'm sorry. Anyway, David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter, Michal, for a wife. So, so here Saul has two more things going for him. And I don't want you to miss this. Please don't miss this. He, he sent David out to fight the Philistines to win the hand of his daughter. And he wins. Like David wins the battle against Saul's number one enemy, the Philistines. So even in spite of the fact that Saul manipulates all this to uh, help him try to kill David, it actually ends up working for Saul's good because the Philistines wanted to kill Saul. Are you tracking with this? 
David's doing good things for Saul. Saul should be watching David kill the Philistines and saying, actually, this guy's helping me out. Actually, this guy's strengthening my position in the ancient world. This guy's making my kingdom really powerful and safe and secure. But he can't do it. He can't be happy. Which, which brings me to number five on the jealousy issue. Here's number five. Jealousy, jealousy blinds you to the good God is doing in your life because you want someone else's life. Jealousy blinds you to the good that God is doing in your life because you want someone else's life. And that's exactly what happens here to King Saul. He's getting his enemies defeated. He's winning. I know it's David doing it, but he's, he's the king. He's winning the battles. And, and he can't enjoy it. I wonder in your life, what can't you enjoy? Because you're so busy resenting what other people have or comparing yourself to what other people have because you don't have it. It's a joy killer. That's why the scripture is so clear. Proverbs 23, 17 to 18. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Someone needs to hear that verse today. You're measuring your life by the people in your life. You're measuring your life against what your sister has or your cousin has or your friend has or your high school classmate has. And you're wondering, when's it going to happen for me? God says, surely there is a future. Hear the word of the Lord. Surely there is a future for you and your hope will not be cut off. Don't let jealousy rob you of the joy that you can have in what you've got going on. Some of you need to just sit down for five minutes and write down a list of all the good things that are going on in your life. Amen. Let's get back to the passage. And this is the last three verses. Verse 28. But when Saul saw... When, again, saw Saul. Lord, help me today. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Look at that. Remember I said jealousy turns enemies into partners and partners into enemies. Saul was David's enemy continually. Verse 30. Then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle, and as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. It's a sad moment. It's a sad moment to watch the train wreck that is Saul's jealous spirit. But make no mistake, and I don't want you to miss this. The kingdom of Saul represents the kingdom of this world. Outside of the church, and I'm not talking about the church building, outside of the church, the people of the church, this is the spirit of the age. People can't genuinely be happy for somebody else. It's all about them. It's all about image management. It's all about getting what's yours. It's all about having what you think you should have in life. And it kind of destroys relationships, does it not? Do we not see this in our generation right now? Do we not see... even in our political discourse, a lot of it is rooted in jealousy. I should have what they have. I deserve what they have, or I want what they have. 
or this should be given to me. Politicians love jealousy. They'll make a living off of it. They'll make a campaign promise off of it. And you got to watch out for it. It's going to kill you. You got. There's a great movie you should watch. It's called Amadeus. I think it's from 1982, and it won a bunch of Oscars. It's about a. Um, it's about a um, composer. His name is Antonio Salieri. I'll put a picture up. Antonio Salieri. Yeah, this guy. I don't know what his name is, but he won the Oscar for this part. It's a fantastic movie. He's a composer around the time of Mozart. So what is that? 15, 1600s? I forget. Uh, 1700s. Anyway, when he's a child, Antonio Salieri goes to church and he makes a deal with God. He says, if you will bless me musically, I will always use my music for your glory and I will be a good person. So he makes this deal with God. By the way, that's not unlike a lot of people who go to church today. God, if you'll bless me, then I'll, bl- then I'll, then I'll obey you and I'll, and I'll use what I have been given for your glory. Uh, got news for you, that's not actually salvation. That's an economic relationship with God. God doesn't operate that way. So anyway, Salieri becomes a great composer. He does. God blesses him. And he lives up to his deal with God. And he's a good person. He's moral. He's upright. He doesn't, uh, he's not a philanderer. He, he doesn't womanize. He doesn't drink. And he goes to church. But then along comes Mozart in the movie. This guy shows up and two things about him. He is beyond brilliant musically. And he is a total heathen. He's a womanizer. He's a philanderer. He's um, sexually immoral. He drinks. He does everything wrong in Salieri's mind. And yet he is far and away a better composer than Salieri. And, and the movie goes back and forth between these two guys. And you watch, you watch as Salieri's spirit is corrupted and overcome by jealousy. And he can't understand why God would bless Mozart with such phenomenal music ability and not him as much, even though he made this deal with God. And there's this, this really important scene where Salieri takes this, this cross I think it's a crucifix, actually. And he throws it into the fire because he's mad at God. And he says, from now on, you and I are done. If that's how you're going to treat me in comparison to Mozart. You know what Salieri is? He's a modern day Saul. He's a modern day Saul who can't understand why God would bless someone more than him. It poisons his spirit, and for the rest, the second half of the movie, he conspires to put Mozart to death, and he does. Now, it's a fable. It's a fictional story. It's not true, but it's a great fable for life. It's a great fable for what we've talked about today. A jealousy will kill your joy. It'll wreck your relationships, and it'll taint your spirit. It's bitter. So you say, all right, Tim, thanks. You really made my day. I feel totally depressed. <laughs> Got it. Jealousy's bad. What do we do? Here's what we do. We do what Jonathan did. That's why I emphasize that moment with Jonathan and David. What did Jonathan? Jonathan and Saul saw the same thing. David killed Goliath and r- rescued the kingdom. And Jonathan surrendered. 
and said, here's my life. Here's my life, David. You can have my weapons. You can have my clothing. You are, I am going to follow and trust you. So what this chapter is asking us to do is to follow the lead of Jonathan and say to Jesus, here's my life. I'm laying down my weapons. I'm giving you my coat. I'm giving you what I think makes me me. My identity, my stuff, my things, everything. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe your word is true when you say there is a future. My hope is secure in you. Amen. Well, that's the episode today. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it helped you. And I hope most importantly that you do two things. Support the deep end through the cash tag, the deep end TV, or I don't have it now. The deep end TV slash gift. Be a supporter. Help us pay some bills, huh? <laughs> and also, if you could check us out at Twitter at Deep End TV and everything else at The Deep End TV or forward slash The Deep End TV. I'm glad you were here. I'm glad that I can do this in my home. I'm glad you tuned in. Like the video, thumbs up, subscribe, hit the notification bell. God bless you. And thank you for joining us. I'll see you next time on The Deep End. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Deep End. We pray it helps you grow in your faith and your walk with Christ. If you don't already have a home church, we invite you to come out to one of our campuses this weekend. Check us out at waterschurch.org to find a location near you and a service time that fits your schedule. Make sure to stay tuned for next week's episode of The Deep End with Tim Hatch.